Welcome to One Tired Teacher Turned Two Tired Teachers, episode 184, Five Compelling Reasons Teachers Should Teach Social and Emotional Skills. So today, Lee and I are talking about a very important topic, and that is helping students really understand some of the things that they're thinking and feeling and regulating their behavior and all things social and emotional learning. We hope you stick around. Welcome to One Tired Teacher. And even though she may need a nap, this teacher is ready to wake up and speak her truth about the trials and treasures of teaching. Here she is, wide awake. Wait, she's not asleep right now, is she? She, she is awake, right? Okay. From Trina Debery Teaching and Learning, your host, Trina Debery. Hey, so today, social and emotional learning. As a teacher, yes, we are constantly looking for ways to help students succeed. And while academic skills are important, social and emotional skills are just as vital. So we're going to talk about five compelling reasons why you should teach social and emotional skills in your classroom. Yeah, especially coming off of two years of not necessarily having constant person contact and Mm. being interacting with people more via the internet or through a game. I mean, most of our kids have probably been on their devices for the past two years, way more than it ever has been in the past. And although that's an amazing way to stay connected with communities, it can also hinder some of those face-to-face interactions that we want students to have, especially those positive ones in the classroom. So I love that we're doing this episode today to just to kind of touch base on like how that can look in their classroom and why it should be something that they're definitely doing. Um, I totally agree because we, you're right. They have been on devices for such a long amount of time and they are not used to like, we've gone away from collaboration and really focusing in on having kids learn to, to work with one another. In fact, I'm in this one group it's actually Kessler science and, and it is for middle school, but I still like to like to be in there every once in a while, because I think that they have some really smart things to say about science and about teaching and things. And so I'm in this group and this, this teacher, this longtime middle school teacher left the classroom. She left teaching and she is now back in the corporate world. And she said, I wish that I had paid more attention to getting kids to learn to work together because, and also virtually as well, like on a collaborative document, like a Google docs or in a learning management system or something like that, because she's like, that is all we do and Mm -hmm. all day long. And I'm like, yes, it's the, and it's some of those soft skills that we're talking about that kids are lacking. That's why I love makerspace so much, honestly, because I feel like it focuses on social and emotional learning as well as some of those 21st century skills. And I think there, it's just so, it's so vital. All right. So let's talk about um, five reasons why we should consider this, because sometimes I feel like I, at least I used to feel this way as a teacher. Like, I'm like, don't give me one more thing. I feel like I have to do all the things. Like I'm now parenting, I'm counseling, I'm teaching, I'm coaching. I'm the nurse, the nurse, the, yeah, the therapist. 
yes. both the kids and the parents. It's a lot. Yeah, it really can be a lot. But I think that sometimes we have to like push aside some of the other things that are maybe not as important, even though they're we are told they are, and really go, okay, what do I really care about? And for me, I really care about kids, first of all, loving to learn and also them feeling really good about themselves. Yeah. That or is feeling huge, successful too. Yes, feeling successful in part. life and at school. Yeah. Absolutely. So the so the first reason, the first compelling reason is social and emotional skills can help improve academic performance. So a lot of times when kids, just like you said, when they don't feel good about themselves, they, they tend to shut down. I I mean, I think my son is a perfect example of this. Like he doesn't feel good about himself in a learning environment. And he literally is like, I got to go to the bathroom. It's those kids that constantly have to go to the bathroom. And you're like, do you have a bladder infection or are you trying to avoid? And 90% 90% of the time they're trying to avoid, they, they don't want to feel bad about themselves. They don't want to feel stupid. They don't, and yeah. they're constantly reminded that this isn't the way that they think or learn. And it's frustrating and hard. And that when kids, when kids feel beaten down in that way, and they're constantly reminded or reinforced that they can't do it that way. They, they don't want to anymore. They're like, I have no other, I have to cope with these feelings. So I'm going to cope by shutting down. Like I'm going to completely shut down. So I really feel like when we focus on, we focus on allowing them to, to like talk about their feelings, like regulate their emotions, becoming aware of what's going on in their mind and their body. Yeah. Working on like relationship skills and even responsible decision-making, we are allowing them to not only grow as humans, but as, you know, kids that can now try yeah. to do things academically where they sometimes don't feel successful. Well, it's interesting you bring this up. I was reading an article the other day about a uh, therapist who's been working with a child who suffers from ADHD and they've been, and he's in middle school and he's been pushed through the system Uh and he was not doing well at school. And basically the mom came to the the therapist and was like, I hear my last hope. He's going to drop out of school in seventh grade. And she was like, so upset that he had just been doing so terribly in school. So anyway, the story goes on, and but in the end, the the therapist was talking about like after about six months of seeing this child three days a week, he was so non-compliant and so against everything that they were doing. She but she had taught him through their sessions how to like help with his focus. And for the first time ever, he got an A on a math test. Mm. He had never gotten an A. And she asked him, well, how did you achieve are you know, you're, you must be very proud. How'd you achieve this? And he said, I thought about what you taught me. Whenever I got distracted, I had to remind myself and ask myself these three questions. Is this what I should be focusing on? Is this important to my learning? And what should I be doing right now? And he said, and that really helped me study. And when I was having a hard time, instead of just giving up, I asked my mom to help me and she did. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is why this kid went from failing every class, every class to yeah. basically being an almost a dropout in seventh grade. What a seventh grade? What are you 13 in seventh grade? Like almost mm-hmm. a dropout yeah. and was able to kind of like get back on the bandwagon. So yes, social emotional learning 
can help achievement in academics because perfect example of this child, he learned a coping skill on how to help with whenever he felt like he was getting distracted in the situation, which I think happens to a lot of students, even without a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis of ADHD or ADD. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's so, and those kids, I always think of kids with dyslexia because I have dyslexia. My son has dyslexia and it definitely impacts some people say between one and two children for every 10 kids. So, you know, you have at least two kids, if not more in your classroom that have this basically a language impairment and it makes, it makes things difficult for them. And so when, and so they are constantly part of the problem is that you don't feel good about yourself as a learner and you think you think that you're not smart. And so you, you struggle to, to want to like put effort in because you're constantly reminded that you, you, you can't do it, which is another reason. And I know I keep bringing up makerspace, but it's another reason why I think it's so important to, to put it in our classrooms or do it, make time for it in our classrooms, because one of the goals is to work through productive struggle is to put, yeah. We've talked about that before on this show too. It's important for kids kids, to feel that. Because we need to teach them resilience and we need to show them that it's safe. That's a safe space to fail and that we can learn from that. And then those skills then get transferred into our academics because they're like, okay, it's safe for me to figure this out and that I might not know it right now, or I might not know it yet but I'm going to, I'm working on it. Yeah. Which I think brings us to two. Um, They can help teaching social and emotional learning skills can help reduce like aggression and conflict in a classroom. And I think, I think right now a lot of kids are angry and they don't know why. I know my son is, we've, we've struggled a lot with a lot of anger And I think it's a frustration of like, there's no control right now in their lives, you know, and especially coming off of where, you know, you had to wear a mask or you weren't allowed at school. And now you are, it's like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, all I wanted to do was see my friends. Now I get to see my friends and, you know, we're kind of like, we don't even know what to do. So, but I think um, teaching these kind of soft skills can help your students really help resolve conflict and help bring down the aggression that might be coming from frustration points in those learning moments, um, you know, because I, a lot of kids get hung up on, it has to be perfect the first time. Yeah. You know, so do you, I think that's interesting that you say that. And it also made me think about, you know, for us, the pandemic, it was a short, it has been a short blibbit of time in our life because we're yeah. beyond the age of 30. Um, most people, I mean, not most people, but people that are listening and maybe twenties to, you know, 60, let's say, but anyway, even if you're older than 20, a two and a half year time span is a long time, but it's not compared to your rest of your life. But for a nine-year-old, two and a half years of their life is a Mm -hmm. lot of time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or even a five-year-old or a six-year-old. Or a five-year-old who- Even more. It's, it's like, you know, we're talking half of their life like this. Yeah. So that is, it is so much more than just let's get back to normal for our kids. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't even, they might not even remember what normal was so they, or they what might normal not. is. They probably for, don't. 
Yeah, if we're thinking about second graders coming in or even, no, third graders now coming in, their kindergarten year was not normal. That's when the world stopped. So they never got a normal year of school. Like they don't know what normal is. So we keep talking about, let's get back to normal. The truth is they don't know. They need help and guidance. And I think through social emotional learning, we can help kind of take the edge off with that aggression or that conflict because they're not used to dealing with other kids. They're probably used to just sitting at home and doing whatever they wanted. Now it's like, oh, I have to share this thing. Oh, I have to teamwork. Yeah, I don't it's, know. It's almost like dealing with toddlers again, you know, yeah. when in that toddler stage and they don't know how yeah. to share. They're yeah. like playing alongside of one another, that stage of learning and playing parallel that, play. <laughs> yes. Parallel play. I think that makes sense that we've had some regression with kids mm-hmm. in this situation because they, they haven't had to share in the ways that they've had to in the past. So I think yeah. that that's true. So that brings me to um, reason number three, which is that when we look at social and emotional skills and, and learning, it really can help boost self-esteem and confidence, which I did mention oh, yeah. in the first, you know, in the first reason, but I think that, I don't know. I just think that's so, so important. So it is. Yeah. I know yesterday my son was really frustrated in the car and I'm not going to claim myself to be a social emotional guru at all. I'm doing a lot of learning on this aspect for myself, but also because I want to be better for my kids. And, you know, as a teacher, I want to be better for the students that I'll come in contact with. Um, but he was really, really frustrated about something that happened at camp and he was, he was spiraling, spiraling, And Mm -hmm. so I was like, let's just take a minute and breathe through this. Mm -hmm. And all we did was like a breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds and breathe out for four seconds. And we did that for maybe a minute. It really wasn't that long. Just as you know, I'm driving home and he was able to kind of like step back and go, oh, you're right. This he was like able to like kind of like re go back and be like, you're right. I'm not at it because he was like spiraling like I'm terrible at this sport and I'm just no one wants to be my friend, blah, blah, blah. And then it was kind of like, oh, you're right. No, this is what really happened. And I need to do, I do need to change, but I need to change my attitude about what happened. It was like a really, I was really surprised how simple it was to change, yeah, to change his feelings mindset. about the situation that had happened at, at his, um, after, we were giving him a camp. strategy to manage his, his body and to manage his breathing. And I, one yeah. of my, one of my favorite things that I used to do in the classroom, we did yoga in my, classroom. Oh yeah. I love doing yoga in the classroom. And it was, mm-hmm. we did it before we had to take a test. We did it. We did mm-hmm. it periodically through the week. And I had a friend who was like, how did you get away with that? Didn't. And I'm like, this was right when they, when the whole, you know, physical fitness thing came down and you had to have a certain amount of physical fitness. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And we didn't, you know, we didn't have it. And I'm like, all right, if this is the mandate and this is the law, then I'm going to do it in my classroom. Plus I was like, I get to work out at the same time. So <laughs> it, yeah, we had, it was, but it changed. But you weren't doing like full 30 minute sessions. We're talking times. Sometimes, sometimes we did. Yeah. Sometimes we did. We did. Um, we did a whole bunch of different things. We did, we did yoga. We did. And we did it with, um, what was that guy's name? Bob from the biggest loser. Do you remember that show? The biggest I remember the show, but I don't, I never yeah, watched so it. Bob, I thought that was silly. It's not Bob Barker. I don't know why I can't think of it. Bob Barker. <laughs> I know from the crisis, right? I, I don't know where that came from, but um, no, Bob. Now let's Bob, do down dog. It was some Bob. It was a Bob. He's an instructor or a, um, a 
fitness person. And we did his, we did Jillian Michaels workout. Mm. We did Billy Blinks with a um, tie bow. We did, we did all kinds Jeez, of things. Girl. Yeah. Intense. It, was, it was a, it was such a community builder as well as actually getting them moving. And I don't know, it really did help. And it actually made, saved us time in the rest of the day because they were so focused the rest of the day because of that, that it yeah. actually helped. All right. So what are we on? Number four. We're on four. Positive relationships with peers and adults. This yeah. is a big one. I think when you struggle with how to communicate in a, I don't want to say a professional way, just in a way that communicates your needs, but is also respectful of the person you're talking to, mm-hmm. it can really go far, especially in a work working environment, Right. And I think a lot of students are just used to the only person they interact with at home is mom or dad or aunt, uncle, whoever, like one adult who knows them. And they don't necessarily have to have the same soft type of communication as they do at school. So this one is big. Yeah, It's almost like when you're teaching them to write and you want them to understand who their audience is. I feel like this is the same kind of idea. And because in some homes, there is a different dynamic of how they speak to their parents. But in this classroom, or when we speak to, you know, when we build relationships with our friends, or when we speak, to, it's like, it becomes different. It yeah. becomes a different way of looking at how, you know, how those social norms play out with the relationships that you have. Well, and I think too, like going back to doing cooperative learning now that we're kind of allowed and to do cooperative learning again, because I know that was kind of unsafe to do for a while. So now that we're looking back now, they'll be able to have some more skills to where they can say, this idea isn't working. What can we do to rethink it? Or, Hey, this is my role. And remember your role is this, because there can be some conflicts that happen in group cooperative group learning um, when they have a disagreement. They don't have specific roles and specific, um, individual accountability, which is the yeah. reason why that, why I'm such a fan of Kagan cooperative learning. I love Kagan. Just, yes. Yeah, and not just cooperative learning. I love that part that they have an individual accountability and they ha- get to try mm-hmm. on these different roles and experience, you know, different parts of, of the relationship. I, I love that part of it. But then to learn how to communicate that effectively, like I'm supposed to be doing the writing and without being like, it's my turn. I was supposed to. I mean, how many times have you heard that? And like even just taking a second with them that moment and say, what's a nicer way we can say that? Let's reframe. We know what you would like to happen. Let's use kinder words or let's stop and breathe a minute because I know you're frustrated and then try it again. So I think that's huge. I agree. And then moving into the fifth compelling reason that teachers might want to consider social and emotional skills. And that is, is that we are really preparing students for success in life. Not it goes beyond our four walls, beyond the classroom, but they, you know, we are, we are developing better people. And I think that's something that I kept in mind all the time in my classroom. I'm like, I, I, yes, I want them to do really well in second grade, or I want them to do really well in the media center or whatever role I was playing. But I'm like, I want to contribute to them being a better person in the world. Yeah. That is a huge, that's a huge thing. And it's these, the people that are sitting, the kids that are sitting in your classroom right now, our future 
CEOs of corporations, their workers, their moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents. These are our future. And if we can help them understand how to communicate better, their life will be enriched, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I think when I think back to my childhood, my childhood was fine, but I think there was a lot of things that like my, I could have done well with. My parents taught me how to handle like when someone cries, Mm -hmm. what should you do when someone's crying? I'm not saying my parents were like, oh, uh, they weren't, but like, it was never like, oh, we're going to have empathy. And we're going to ask them, you know, but so now I'm trying to change that for my son because I've learned it's better to have empathy for someone. Even if you're like, it's a look at it from their lens and see it from their world. It can really help change the, um, the perspective of the issue that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, yeah, if we can help students kind of manage emotion and help others, we're just creating a better future for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think that's a huge part. I, I think that's a huge part of being a teacher. So even though we feel like we have to wear a lot of hats, I think that's a really- So many hats. Yeah. I think we'll have to do an episode on how to now implement all these five reasons because it like how to like, how that could look in a classroom. Cause I'm sure teachers are like, I love what you're saying, but how does this look? How can I do it without right. sacrificing tons of academic time? Because my principal comes in and expects, you know, it. 115 math is on the board. So I think those expectations sometimes are just so ridiculous and so unrealistic. Um, and if you want us to cover things like social and emotional learning, then we, you know, we need to be doing read alouds and talking about feelings and characters and things like that. And we need to be doing things like makerspace and allowing them to work through. You yeah, know, their, I think like, collaborative groups is yoga. We need to be doing these things and we yeah. have to have some time to do it. We obviously yeah. don't have to take an hour, but we have to have some time to do it. And so if you come in at one fifteen, and we're stopped, we've stopped to have a classroom meeting because we're talking about a situation that happened on the playground. That's part of it. That's part oh, of yes. emotional learning. So yeah, we have to embrace those teachable moments and that that used to be a, an okay practice. And now we're like, you're not doing you know, whatever math groups at one fifteen. like, I, I'm like, come on, like, yeah. let's, let's get realistic here, especially in this situation. All right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think we covered the five reasons and you're right. We'll have to yeah. do an episode on more ways of implementing. <laughs> yes. All right. So are these two tired teachers signing off? They are. And All until right. next time, sweet dreams and sleep tight. <laughs> Bye.